I would definitely recommend that anyone starting their meditation journey should start with an understanding of the breath. That is their most powerful tool because the breath is literally directly correlated to the mind. Hey guys, welcome to the Brain and Brand Show. I'm your host, Timothy Maurice. And my mission is to make brain science simple so you can apply it to your professional and personal life. Today, I speak to Dr. Edward D. Hess, Professor Emeritus of Business Administration at the Darden School of Business in Virginia. He's the author of Own Your Work Journey, The Path to Meaningful Work and Happiness in the Age of Smart Technology and Radical Change. And you'll also hear from Vanessa Tseki, a yoga and wellness practitioner. She's the co-owner of The Nest Space, a yoga studio, and she's also a yoga coach on the Nike app. I'm bringing you this episode because the world is experiencing radical change. My goal is to offer you insights to support you as you confront this disruption. You see, I want to ensure that your brain and body are positioned to operate at their peak levels. Meet Dr. Edward Hess and Vanessa Tseki. Enjoy. Ed, welcome to the Brain and Brand Show. How are you? I'm, I'm well, and thank you very much for having me. I look forward to our conversation. And where are you at the moment? Charlottesville, Virginia. Lovely. I just came back from Virginia Beach. I was at the <laughs> Defense Leadership Conference there. Uh, very good. Very good. So, and before we dive into your extraordinary book, which has all of these practical tools, can't wait to share them with my audience. I have to go inside your brain. We're going to peel back your brain and we're going to go inside your mind. That's the feature where I'm going to ask you seven questions and you can only choose one answer for each question. Can we do that? Yes. Full speed ahead. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Drum roll, please. Number one, tablet or computer? Computer. Strawberries or blueberries? Oh, blueberries. <laughs> you sound real passionate about that one. Yes. <laughs> Work or play? Work. Listening or thinking? Listening. EQ or IQ? EQ. Now, this one gets a little bit tricky. Number six is you can only quieten one of these. You can quieten your mind or your body. Yeah, quiet. If you quiet, if you quiet your mind, you have a high probability of also having a quiet body. Where if you quiet your body, if you quiet your body, you don't have a, it's not, not that related to quieting the mind. So that's why I chose quiet the mind. It's a good question. Hard question. Thank you. And finally, number seven, loving and kindness meditation or mindfulness meditation? Both. You can only choose one and that's the rules. Mind. Mind, mindfulness meditation. You need to start there and then you move to loving kindness. 
you're hacking the system. But anyway, thank you so much, Ed, for allowing us to peel back your brain and go inside your mind. So when I got the brief for this book, I thought to myself, okay, it goes, veers a little off on the career journey a bit. So I thought we could really hone in on the ego and we will deal with some of the career dynamics. But I want to start this conversation by asking you, what is the risk we're facing? What's the looming big challenge that we're all facing the imminent challenge that we're facing at the moment, the reason why you wrote this book. Technology and smart technology is the, is the big game changer and the big risk. And it will, it's going to transform how we work, who will, we, who will work and whether we will have work. And the numbers are the numbers are pretty clear from the all the scientists and uh, you know we're we're looking by 2030, 2030 to have 25% to 47% of the jobs in the United States being automated all right that's a huge number and what's the game changer now is ai smart technology it's going to require all of us to become a highly adaptive learner who can learn, unlearn, and relearn at the pace of change. We're going to have work if we can add value in ways the technology can't. That's it. All right. Now, the good news is there's three buckets. All right. Thinking in ways the technology can't think. Excelling at building, caring, trusting, positive emotional relationships with other human beings. And then excelling in doing trade jobs, which require human dexterity and iterative diagnosis of the problem and iterative trial and error approaches to solving the problem. If it's in the challenge we all have is, is there's going to be work, right? But are we prepared inside of ourselves to do the type of work at the speed it's going to be done? Because we we are we are not highly adaptive learners, right? Yes. We yes. basically, I mean, we're the opposite. All right. If you look at the if you look at how we define ourselves and our ego, I mean, the science is clear. Our brains, and you know this, you're an expert. Our brains are wired to go out in the world and seek confirmation of what we believe. We're <laughs> looking for the pat on the head. We're looking to be told we're right. Affirmation of our ego, the story of who we are. And that's huge. That's the quiet ego part that needs to come in play. And then we want to, we've all got a story of how our world works. We go out and seek to bring things in which basically ratify our story. We don't go out there and say, I believe this is a general rule. I believe this. Let me go see if that's right. Let me go try and destroy what I believe. And so we're we're just not wired to be a highly adaptive learner. All right? To learn in the fast pace that smart technology is going to change. So we got to rewire ourselves. All right? 
we got to rewire ourselves. And that basically means we got to take ownership ourselves and take ownership of what's going on inside of ourselves. And that's where you come to your mind body yeah. uh, type, type of work. And the, the goal is to transform ourselves. So we come to the world with our most non-judgmental, fearless mind, quiet ego, which enables us to learn, unlearn, and relearn at the pace of change. Because the scientists also say that the average person is going to have five jobs, five completely different jobs in the next 15 to 20 years. Wow. So the volatility, we, yes. we, we humans, the, the, we're, we're going into an age of high volatility and change in the way we've are wired brain-wise, emotional-wise. is a, we, we like things to stay the same. We like to be in control. You know, we don't like to feel out of control or maybe we don't know or maybe we got to learn or, gee, this is hard. <laughs> You know, we all we all just we all seek this, you know, pats on the head. Yeah. We're all like little puppy dogs running around. Pat me on the head, pat me on the head, pat me on the head. Okay. So wait, and are you telling me are you telling me that you have positioned yourself? I mean, you're a great mind, great researcher. Based on your research and your own personal life, what do you do to make sure you stay you have the ability to adapt and to learn faster because you argue we don't learn so fast. We don't adapt so fast. So what are you doing? I'm, I have been doing for years, everything that I've written in the book, <laughs> every, every practice. All right. And, you know, I started out years ago when I did mindfulness meditation, um, you know, and, Started out doing it one, two, three minutes, okay? And and then I went through a time period where it was so hard, I quit. And then, thankfully, with a good friend and mentor, I came back to it. And uh, and so, you know, I you you take you take mindfulness meditation, and you and I'm I'm not bragging. I'm trying to share with people. I'm trying to help people. This is not about me, okay? Um, but, you know, I went from 10 to 13 years ago from one minute a day, okay, to, you know, now I'm at the point where, you know, I'm up to a couple hours a day. And, oh, uh, wow. And, and the reason I, I, I knocked my time up, the environment we're in now of volatility, I found myself reverting if I stayed at, you know, 20 minutes of meditation or 30 minutes of meditation a, a day. I was, I wasn't, I wasn't myself. I wasn't my calm self. I wasn't my open-minded self. So much going on. So, so the answer to the question is, is, um, I, I, I do my best to, to, continue to take ownership of myself so I can bring my best self to the table, so to speak. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Okay. Uh, nobody's perfect, but I've tried to bounce back quickly. Right. And, but the critical thing is, is to take ownership 
okay? And not let anybody own me, right? Um, and you mean by algorithm? You mean from you mean from algorithms? You mean from news feeds? Because clearly you're not expecting a 20 year old uh, or 30 year old to be meditating for a couple hours a day. No, you don't have to. He he or she does not have to do it. And when we when we we get there talking about it, I mean, you start out with really three minutes. You work up to five minutes. You work up to ten. You get to 20, 30 minutes a day over, say, after five or six months and stay there. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. All right. And what's happening neurologically when you meditate? I mean, I've had a number of guests on the show and we've covered some of these subjects. But I want to know, what is the bottom line benefit as it relates to being able to adapt, to learn faster and give you a competitive advantage? If you meditate, and you're mindful three, five minutes a day and get up to 10 minutes, what is the bottom line that benefit to your brain? Since we're speaking a lot about the theory of meditation, let me bring in our guest, meditation, yoga, and wellness practitioner, Vanessa Tseki. So for someone who's like literally thinking, I'm really impressed by this professor's insights, but where do I even begin? I've never even thought about meditating. What would you recommend? I would definitely recommend that anyone starting their meditation journey should start with an understanding of the breath. That is their most powerful tool because the breath is literally directly correlated to the mind. And with meditation, what we're trying to do or attempting to do most of the time is either some sort of relaxation or concentration or higher focus. And the best way in order to get your mind ripe for that sort of exercise is to use the breath. So definitely using breathing techniques. Now you can get all fancy and look up all kinds of breathing techniques, or you could just simply observe your breath. It's as simple as that for three minutes, sitting down and observing your inhale and your exhale. And I'll be very shocked if your listeners are able to get by 30 seconds without their mind wandering, but that is a practice. And once you have that awareness of the breath, the mind is going to calm down and then that's what you continue to do. You're already meditating. Wow. And for someone who is going, look, that sounds nice, but I can't even focus past five seconds before my mind starts wandering. Let's speak to that person. We want to, we want to bring you into this conversation. Let's talk specifically to that person. Absolutely. Specifically to that person is that, it's that's okay. It's this idea of perfectionism that we kind of needed throughout the throughout the, the the whole the whole conversation. Of course, you're going to struggle. Of course, your mind is going to jump up and down. I'd be surprised if it didn't. You know, I mean, only Buddha really can sit for five minutes and not have their mind wander. I've been doing this for over a decade, and my mind still wanders. But it's that acceptance and observation of the mind wandering that leads you closer and closer to your goal. It's a practice like anything in life, playing the piano, reading, writing. You've just got to have that um, discipline to show up for yourself and it does get better. What other type of exercises or practices or disciplines such as yoga <clears throat> that could support someone who wants to go on a meditation journey does yoga complement this or no? Absolutely. Yoga is 
complemented in every way because it's like the kindergarten level of meditation. It really teaches you how to breathe and how to be aware of your, of your, of your, of your breath and your body and soul connection. And just that awareness, that snippet that you see in yoga is what's honestly going to motivate you to go deeper because you've already seen it and experienced it, even if it's just for a few seconds. So it definitely does complement that a lot. But also what people don't understand, it doesn't have to be all holistic. Cooking, running, anything that requires concentration where you're, there's that stillness is a form of meditation and it's preparing your mind for meditation. You're an absolute rock star. Thank you so much, okay? Thank you so much. Now let's rejoin the chat with Dr. Hess. You will be a better listener. You will be a better collaborator. You will be a better thinker. And you will be less... You will be able to engage in what's called emergent thinking. You'll be able to be more still and new ideas will pop up and you won't be so defensive. You will listen to learn, not to confirm. You will view it not as competition uh, with other people unless it's a you know different company and you got different products. But um, it's... What it, what it does is, is it's, it's, you know, the, you're looking for inner stillness and calmness that allows you to go out into the world in a non-judgmental manner, not be hyper-reactive, not immediately respond. Ask questions to make sure you understand, right? Learn truly how to collaborate. And, you know, if you, collaboration is not competition. There's research from MIT and Carnegie Mellon on collective intelligence. And you obviously are well, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's the, you know, let's just say a, in the intelligence of a group, say five people. And the research is overwhelming. Uh, MIT did five research projects and Carnegie Mellon didn't believe their answer. And they went and done, did three, <laughs> so there's eight research projects. And the projects were basically in collaboration, teams of five people. Um, and the teams were teams of, you know, five men or four men or three men or two men or one man. All right. So the teams basically, that was the makeup of the teams. All right. The best teams, the most collaborative teams, ones who have the highest quality conversations with each other, the ones that are the most open-minded, the best teams in all eight research projects from MIT and Carnegie Mellon were teams with five women and zero men. Wow. The best, second best team was four women and one man. Okay. The third best team was three women and two men. Now you got the story. You know where this is ending up. Okay. And so, especially we as, you know, men, men are sort of wired for this competition. I got to be right. And I got to be the smartest person in the room. And I got to be strong. And, you know, I can't be, a, you know, thought of as somebody that doesn't know or is a wimp. And what role, what role does the ego play in all of this? Huge, huge. 
huge. The ego is huge because men more than women are define themselves and they have a different definition of ego. All right. In the sense that it's the men's definition. It's sort of like all about me. Okay. It's all about me. It's, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, when I was in the business world and everything, I'd be sitting around the table and I mean, I'd be listening to people, but I'm making up my answer while I'm listening. And as soon as, some, as, soon as somebody, as soon as somebody started, stopped, I leaned forward, put my elbows on the thing and I told them what the right answer was. All right. Mm. You know, women don't do that. All right. Women ask questions, women and men. And I trained myself. Okay. I never respond now in a collaboration without asking questions to make sure I understand what the other person is saying. I always ask questions. All right. And, and I understand that everybody sort of is coming with it a different way. So the fact is, how does all this relate to being successful? All right. Being successful in this age of, of, you know, Smart technology is going to get smarter and smarter in radical change, whether it's geopolitical, whether it's uh, societal change. The thing is, is that we've got to come back to a state of inner stillness and calmness that enables you to go out in the world with your most non-judgmental, fearless, open-minded, quiet ego that allows you to learn, unlearn, and relearn at the pace of change. One of the chapters in your book is quieting your mind and your body. Yes. And, you know, this comes after, and I thought it was great structuring of the book. It comes after quieting your ego practices. So before we go into the body, let's talk a little bit about, you know, besides mindfulness and meditation, how else can you quieten the ego? How else can you, what can you do on a daily basis practically? Gratitude practices are golden. And by gratitude practices, that's acknowledging the positive impact other people have had on you during your life, during your day, during your meeting. Or if it's not a positive impact, if they did something that was very good um, in, a, in a meeting and it maybe didn't help you learn or feel good, gratitude practice, positive emotions. If you had to say, how do I become a better person, generate positive emotions, and manage negative emotions? Because our emotions, basically, you know, (laughs) I can remember when I was many, many years, many decades younger than I was when my wife, my wife is uh, uh, a lawyer uh, and a a scientist and uh, and public public health she has multiple degrees very smart person and so we were having a you know and i i had a have a law degree and we were we're talking one time this is decades ago and she's looking at me asking me some questions and she she looks at me and she said you you realize how you're coming across i said what do you mean (laughs) you're being very defensive and it feels makes me feel sort of hostile. She says, do, do you know that if you that you don't have to act that way, even if you feel that way? I says, what do you mean? She says, 
Do you know that you can take control? You do not have to behaviorally let your emotions be automatic. You just, and she said, you can take a deep breath. You can pause. You can say to yourself, whoa, slow down. And I said, no, I didn't know that. She says, well, I think it's something you need to work on because it's Mm. not, it's not very much fun having a conversation with you like this. And, uh, so we, you know, we don't, you know, we, we feel something in, in, in ourselves emotional, the tenseness, okay, or the sort of the blood moving faster, or we're feeling our, we're feeling our cheeks getting warmer, all right? We feel something, so we're, we're, you know, we're, we're gearing up to defend, to deny, to attack, etc. And And so how do you, how do you do that? You have to buy into the fact that, wait a minute. I can quiet this down. I can quiet this down by thinking of positive, positive things. I can quiet it down by deep breathing. Okay. Not that's different than meditation breathing. Okay. You know, okay. Take a deep breath. Go in five. Mm. Slowly. Okay. Coherent breathing. Right. It's, it's in the book. Just everything sort of calms down where you get back. Okay. What's going on inside of here? Okay. Yeah. Darn. I'm being defensive. Darn. I'm, I'm afraid I may not look good. So deep, deep breathing, gratitude practices, uh, uh, to generate positive emotions. Uh, I love it. I, I, you know, those are, you know, people do not think about the cyclical effect of gratitude. And the way you've outlined this is so, so powerful. So many people believe if you can just get control of the mind, you can also get control of the body. And a lot of people aren't aware that a body has its own intelligence. Share a little, share, yeah, share a little bit about why quietening the body matters. Well, it's mission critical. All right. I mean, it's, it's the, the, the fact of the matter is if we, I mean, the body is made up, as you said, you know, the, the body is, you know, our wiring, our chemicals, all right, that produce the emotions. And so being in, you know, just being, being sensitive to your body, just, you know, if you, you think about it, I'm a, how many times do anybody listening to this? I mean, do you, do you feel when your body's getting warmer? Do you feel like when your body's racing or getting faster or you need to do something faster? Do you, are you leaning forward more? Okay. Are you leaning in too much? Uh, um, are you feeling fearful? All right. Going back to the ego. Do not, am I afraid I'm going to look bad? Or am I afraid I am looking bad? Uh, you know, all of this stuff. And it's, as you know, it's wiring, but it's also chemicals. So the best thing to do is to think something positive. Okay. Um, you know, that, that can be, you know, I, I have a, just making stuff up now. It depends on the person. Okay. Oh, you know, my, think of somebody that's truly wonderful to you. Oh, my son is so wonderful. My daughter is so wonderful. 
my husband, my wife, my partner, my whoever, or think about something good that's just that that happened to you, but basically to stop it, to slow it down, to slow the emotional take down, um, and to basically get get to the point with practices. That's why the that's why there's so many practices in the book. Different practices, you know, um, reflect another practice okay when you feel yourself think you're a fly on the wall and the fly's looking at you what do you see wow he's getting he's getting riled okay wow i'm getting riled <laughs> deep, breaths. deep breaths now the things that you do to stop it you know deep breathing is mission critical all right Meditation teaches you how to, mindfulness meditation teaches you how to bring your focus back to what's the true you or the you you want to be. And so when you're going off on a tangent, you can take some deep breaths and then you can concentrate and say, come back, come back, Mm. settle down, down. self-talk. Wow, that's really powerful. You know, one of the things that you know I'm learning over the years is just how powerful words are. And, you know, one of my favorite poems is by a poet named Ben Oakry. It's called Beyond Words. And he says that literature wants to work on you in silence, that sometimes we are consumed by words, words that hurt words that conceal, words that, you know, remove you from reality. And, you know, you unpacking your book, you know, just the the importance of owning your words. Why is it so important for you? Well, words can hurt people. Okay. Words can unintentionally hurt people. And so understand, and so being cognizant of what you're saying, just not being machine-like, you know, immediately responding and putting stuff out there. Um, there's a, you know, is it really necessary to say this? What could be the impact of this? What could be the negative impact? Why am I really saying this? What's my purpose? Is it to defend my ego? Is it to win? Is it to compete? Is it to destroy? Okay. Or is it to be kind, caring, helpful? To be someone that adds value, that's not trying to destroy value. Yeah. And and so words are very... And it, it, it all comes back to don't be so reflexive. Slow down. Don't automatically respond. Take a couple of deep breaths. And, and, and you know, so that you can bring a positive environment, okay? Negative. Now there, there are times when things will get, will get negative and there, there may be reasons for it. When you say to somebody tersely, wait a minute, 
you're being rude to Jim or rude to Jane. That's not appropriate in our group. Let's slow down. Let's all take a deep breath. Let's all remember what we sort of how we agreed we wanted to be. You, you know, you don't become a wimp, but you manage through your words and through your behaviors. Okay, because sometimes it won't be words. It will be basically frowns or being stares or being uh, physically getting too close to someone. Or it may be something where you're clearly you're you're working on something else or thinking of something else or reading something else or talking to someone else than the person that you're supposed to be talking to, which, you know, that can be hurtful, too. And we've never been, you know, I wasn't. I don't know if you, you were. I mean, never been trained in education and whether it's high school, college, graduate education. If you think about it. Where, you know, are there courses on managing your, managing your ego and managing your body and managing your, your mind and managing your, your emotions and learning how to listen, to truly listen. Okay. And not be, you know, critiquing while the person's saying to manage your thinking. I mean, critical thinking is the biggest void in the U.S. society today of anything regarding cognition. The lack of critical thinking. Everybody is so fragile and sensitive. All right. And, uh, and, you know, getting to the point where you can think critically with others in ways that are not offensive. What if yeah. questions? What if questions? What if this? You know, how can we be, you know, what, what, what could happen that would make this not work? Okay. Or when I'm asking myself is, what am I, I ask people all the time when I'm having conversations, am I making sense? What am I missing? What am I missing? Okay. Where do you disagree? I mean, I seek out those types. Tell me where I'm missing something wrong. Why do I want that? Because I know in the world we're in, I got to bring my best self to the table every day and I'm never going to stop learning. No one's ever going to stop learning. And the technology is not going to stop getting smarter. And yeah. so, you know, we're sort of on a glide path. Technology is taking off. Okay. And we're sort of like this. All right. And better what we've got to do is, okay, what are the tools and practices that are going to take me and let me stay in the game? <laughs> That's what this is all about, having meaningful work and happiness in a world that's going to be so different by the end of this decade than anything any of us ever imagined. It is you know what? Big. Yep. I, I think the thing that I value the most about your work in your book is your passion and authenticity. Like you're genuinely, I can feel you genuinely concerned and and it shows up where you offer practical tools and you offer a whole index for people to be able to dive into this. And I really appreciate the way you've laid this book out. I hope to have you back on the podcast. I I know that my listeners in 33 countries are going to appreciate this work. And um, I'm wishing you all the best. And if I'm back in Virginia, I'll reach out to you and I'd love to have a coffee with you. 
Oh, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful because I would learn from you, and I love learning. And uh, yeah, thank thank you very much for having me. All the best. A huge thanks to both Dr. Edward Hess and Vanessa Tsecki for making time, and thank you for choosing this episode. Please share it with someone you care about. Until next time.